welcome to another episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm your host, Mike O'Brien, CEO of the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. We appreciate all the positive feedback we've been receiving. We've heard we're already part of some folks' drive time commutes and exercise playlists, so if we can make things go faster for some of you, as well as inform you, I guess our work is done. As a reminder, you can subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website at wdma.com slash WDMA Open and Close. Coming up on this episode is a discussion about the outlook for the residential and remodeling markets with NEHB Chief Economist Robert Dietz. Then we'll have a conversation with Mike Heary of CDS Logistics about transportation trends in the industry. So stay with us. Joining us now on WDMA Open and Close is Robert Dietz. Rob is the Chief Economist for the National Association of Home Builders, where his responsibilities include housing market analysis, forecasting and industry surveys, and housing policy research. He's a leading expert on home construction analysis and trends, and you may have seen him on CNBC or interviewed on the Wall Street Journal, among other news outlets. His team's economic research is published daily on NAHB's Eye on Housing blog, which I highly recommend everyone subscribe to. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon, and it's good to join you. Thanks. So, Rob, let's start big and go small. So tell us your thoughts on the overall state of the macro economy as we close out the year. 2018 shaping up to be a good year. We think GDP growth for the year is going to end up at about 2.9, maybe get to the 3% growth rate that the administration wanted us to reach with deregulation and some tax cuts. But the issue is in 2019 and 2020, we do see a softening of the economy. And in fact, in our most recent forecast, we see in 2020 a growth rate not much higher than 1% and with a couple of quarters that come pretty close to zero, uh, which would qualify as a growth recession. So we're, we're seeing a slowing macro environment, and that's due to higher interest rates. So let's talk more specifically about the single family sector first. How would you characterize 2018 and what have been the key drivers? 2018 has been a year of growth, but I think we've gone from modest growth to disappointing growth. What I mean by that is if you look at recent years on the single family construction side, the industry has been expanding its output, typically at growth rates that range from 8 to 12%. Not sufficient to keep up with population growth or household formations or to make a, a noticeable dent in the inventory crisis, which has run up home prices faster than incomes, causing an affordability challenge. But decent growth, not all the same. What changed in 2018 is the accumulation of price growth over prior years, which was a windfall for homeowners. It did help the remodeling market because it meant existing homeowners had more money to spend in terms of their household balance sheets. But if you look at the 2018 numbers, affordability became an issue because of those home price gains. And then with the run-up in mortgage interest rates, which was generated by the Federal Reserve accelerating its interest rate increases, we definitely reached the point of an affordability issue in the market. So builder confidence is down, 
single-family production is slowing. We think for the year, we'll probably post somewhere under about a 4% growth rate, but that's a lot slower than what we've seen in recent years. So how about going into 19? What do you think that's going to look like? We think in 2019, there's still a lot of untapped housing demand. And I think it's important to keep in mind, while we're concerned about the issues of affordability and higher interest rates, that the labor market is still fundamentally solid. Uh, We've currently got an unemployment rate of 3.7%. Most forecasters, including our own shop, expect it to be in that kind of high 3% range going into 2019. The demographic tailwinds for single-family construction are really positive. The median age of the millennials, the largest generation in American economic history, is right now at a peak age of about 28. And keep in mind, the median age of a first-time home buyer is about age 31. So they're going to add the single-family demand uh, going forward. But the issue remains that mortgage interest rates are likely to get higher. In our forecast window, we think those will go up to about 5.2%, and that's going to slow the market down along with some of these macro issues. So the demand is there. We're just going to have to go through some, some periods of volatility in 2019 and 2020 until income growth can overwhelm some of those price increases that we've seen in recent years. I thought there was some fear that the millennials were going to be delayed home buyers. I mean, I've read a lot about that in past year or so. Is that anything to that? So that's, that's one of those issues that we've been out there kind of trying to knock down for the last few years. It was hard not to read a newspaper or a magazine where you would have a columnist between 2013 and, say, 2017 who was writing that the millennials were all going to live in multifamily units. They were going to rent forever. And, you know, it should have been no surprise, and we were certainly saying it back in 2013, you know, people get older, and when they get older, they typically get married and have kids, and they, they change their housing demand. And in typical, you move from a rental apartment into a single-family home, gain some square footage because you've got an expanding family. And what we've seen over the last nine quarters is exactly that. The growth in household formations in the U.S. moved from the rentership side, which is where it had been from 2010 to 2015, to the homeownership side. And so the homeownership rate bottomed out and has now been growing for two years. It's currently above 64%. And I think that effectively refuted those claims that the millennials were all going to rent and all live in multifamily apartments. So we think the, the growth for single-family demand is, is going to continue. But the, the question is, in the short run, whether mortgage interest rates will slow it down or even decrease it a little bit until income growth and essentially people getting older and and progressing in their careers enables them to save up for a down payment and and be able to buy that home or purchase an existing home and remodel it. What did you read into that recent pronouncement from the chair of the Fed about perhaps interest rate increases stopping or slowing? That was great news. In fact, in November, when we published our NHB Wells Fargo Housing Market Index, it's a a measure of single-family builder confidence, it fell from a level of 68 to a level of 60. It was the biggest drop that we've had in that monthly index in four years. And as part of the press release, we basically made an argument to the Federal Reserve to say, you need to pay attention to leading sectors of the economy, including housing. Because what the data are telling us right now is the economy is going to slow 
over the next 18 months. And so I think the Federal Reserve chairs kind of moving from position of we're far from normal on interest rates to we're close to normal on interest rates is a clear sign that they intend to slow up a little bit, maybe move more to data dependency on monetary policy in 2019. So we expect uh, the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates in early December. We think it'll probably move again in March of 2019. And then I'm hoping that when they look at the data, look that inflation expectations remain fairly well anchored, but some parts of the economy, including housing, have slowed. They might pause in the middle of the year. And so instead of looking at four rate hikes from the Federal Reserve in 2019, maybe we'll only see two, and those might be the last two of the cycle. And so that's informing that our mortgage interest rate forecast that we don't think mortgage interest rates will get much above 5.5% in this cycle. So segueing to the multifamily sector, how has that been this year and what do you see happening going forward? Well, given the fact that we think that single-family growth is going to be there, but it's going to be considerably slower than what we had expected, say, two years ago, our multifamily forecast is still based off of the idea that that market is leveling off, but we've revised up the level of activity on the new construction side at which that leveling off is occurring. So two years ago, we had an expectation that we were looking at about 330,000 units a year. It's kind of the equilibrium level of multifamily construction. We have now raised that to approximately 360,000 units. Now, that would still put us in kind of a more pessimistic view of new apartment construction compared to many forecasters. I've seen estimates that suggest the multifamily market could increase to 400,000 units or more. I don't think that'll happen, again, because of some of the demographic drivers. But what our, our surveys in the industry tell us is that we're not going to see a decline down to 330,000, but rather we're going to see a leveling off at above normal levels of production because the rental housing demand is still there. It's just not growing as fast as maybe some of the, the homeownership-based housing demand. What do you see in terms of apartment versus condo? Absolutely. And in fact, compared to historical standards, the, the multifamily market is, is really different than, uh, say, 20 years ago. Uh, currently, more than 95% of multifamily units are for rent units. Historically, it's only about 80%. Uh, so we are basically have no new condo production going on. Uh, if you want to look for higher density for sale ownership-based housing, that's really occurring in the townhouse market. Mm-hmm. In fact, kind of connecting multifamily and single family, townhouse construction right now is growing at rates of around 24%. In other words, it's growing six times as fast as the overall single family market. So that's where you find the density ownership-based housing. Multifamily, it's almost entirely a, a built-for-rent market. Well, with, ta- with townhouses, is that more a factor of affordability or cost of construction and development, or both? It's actually both. Uh, it's, it's kind of supply side and demand side motivated. The demand side push for it comes from the fact that millennials and younger Gen Xers do want, ultimately, when they can afford it, a suburban housing experience. They want ownership. They want a front door. But com- maybe compared to prior generations, they want a little more walkability. So that higher density actually has value. 
On the supply side, the, the factor that enables townhouse construction to, to grow the way it has is we have a land and lot shortage and fixed costs of doing development. And so for a builder, there's a certain economies of scale of being able to build single-family housing with density. And you can't get much more dense than single-family attached housing. So that's the reason that the, the townhouse construction market among various sub-markets in single-family construction is doing pretty well. So let's talk a little bit about remodeling. How has that sector been doing and what should we be looking for for next year? The remodeling sector has been actually outperforming single-family construction and multifamily construction for a number of years. Our quarterly confidence indicators still have remodeling conditions as, as fairly positive. Just like there are demographic drivers for single-family construction, on the remodeling side, you have things like aging in place, an aging housing stock, and demands to improve the energy efficiency and make the standard kitchen and bath upgrades in the American housing stock. Those are all helping housing demand. On the negative side, some of the stock market turmoil affecting the household balance sheets, home price gains are probably going to slow, and all of those lead to growth that we expect in the remodeling market, but we expect that growth to be slowing over the next few years. Maybe see the remodeling market grow more in the range of 2 to 5% over 2019 and 2020. So I think it's a market that can still grow. It's still going to be subject to some of those supply-side headwinds that have affected the overall residential construction market, including tariffs, labor shortages, rising building material costs. Uh, but the demographic drivers of demand should remain there. Talking about that labor issue, you know, it continues to be a major issue in the industry. I think you've talked a little bit about the need to raise worker productivity. Any thoughts on how we can get there? It's going to be hard, and it's going to take a while, but it's a, it's a must-do for the industry. Uh, as of late 2018, the overall construction industry is short about 300,000 workers, and that's an environment with an incredibly low unemployment rate. So there's no silver bullet for what the residential construction industry needs to do to tackle some of these supply-side challenges, but certainly recruiting skilled workers into the industry, particularly younger workers who can make a career build a small business of their own, that's a must-do task for the industry as a whole. In terms of increasing productivity, which is another part of the puzzle, some of it is things like increasing the share on single-family construction that's uh, modular built or panelized construction, doing some of those activities within a factory environment and then transporting it. It's interesting to note, by the way, that those only represent about 4% of single-family construction, so less than one out of 20 homes. So there's some, some room for growth. That, that would be a way, though, of getting some of those productivity gains. And then the other factor is a, it's a little more you know, futuristic. It's harder to measure, but you know, capitalizing the work site, enabling tools, or even building material products that will be in a quantifiable way provide the ability of the remodeler or the builder to save time at the work site. I tell this to building manufacturer product suppliers all the time. If you can provide a product that's, albeit more expensive, but can you know, say this is going to save you so many hours at the work site, that product will sell in the coming years. Interesting. So what f red flags do you see on the horizon and what's the likelihood of a recession in the near future? 
So we think the probability of a downturn in 2020 is, is fairly high at this point. Our, our actual forecast tables do have growth rates of GDP that are fairly close to zero by the middle of 2020. And the factors that we think will lead to an economic slowdown are declining tailwinds from essentially the end of the economic boost that was given to us by tax cuts, higher interest rates, which even with the Fed slowing down, we do expect the interest rates over time to increase, and then just the incredibly tight labor market. Uh, obviously, a low unemployment is good for housing demand, it's good for resale activity, it's good for new construction on the demand side. But what we're seeing now is the, the labor shortages that have plagued construction and transportation over the last four years are now affecting the overall economy. You probably heard the statistic, but there are now more open positions than unemployed individuals in the American economy to fill them. And so that, that lack of available labor pool means that job growth will, in the course of 2019 and 2020, slow down. Still the number one challenge for window and door manufacturers, too. It's across the board. Absolutely, yeah. You, you hear from manufacturers. You hear from the energy sector. It's partly demographic. I mean, one of the interesting statistics we've done when we look at the demographics to try to forecast housing demand is to look at the age of the U.S. labor force. And what you've seen since the year 2000 is that the growth in the number of workers who are 55 and older has grown by 17 million people. The growth in the labor force in the U.S. economy who is under age 55, it's only gone up by about 600,000 workers. And the, the result of that is it is basically due to the fact that there are a lot of baby boomers, there are a lot of millennials, but there aren't many people my age, Gen X. And so that, that kind of, we've been calling it the Gen X gap, is part of the reason that we see these labor shortages in the U.S. economy. So in the, in the short run, that's bad news because it means the dwindling labor pool that's going to provide a bit of a slowdown in economic growth. The good news is the long run, as millennials age, uh, we're going to grow that kind of prime age working population going forward, maybe get some income growth uh, along the way, some productivity growth, which would be great because that's the way you can get incomes to go up without inflation. And then that kind of sets the stage for a nice growth cycle after the current economic volatility that we'll likely see over the next two to three years. Well, Rob, we really appreciate your insights and thanks for the positive short-term and the somewhat scary long-term <laughs> forecasts. So we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Absolutely. Happy to join you. Thanks. And we'll be right back. Kick off 2019 by attending the WDMA Northeast Winter Conference in Baltimore. The event starts the evening of January 28th with an opening welcome reception, followed the next day by a full day of programming. You'll start the year right with a 2019 market forecast from NEHB. Then there'll be a keynote session on builder and contractor sentiment and influencing factors from the Farnsworth Group, as well as sessions on the legislative, regulatory, and code landscape for 2019. Plus, there'll be plenty of networking opportunities throughout the conference. Early bird registration rates expire December 31st, so don't delay. For more information and registration information, visit WDMA.com.
Founded in 1989, CDS Logistics not only provides last mile deliveries for its many millwork customers, but also merge in transit, inventory management, and pick and pull services. The company is an expert in the handling and delivery of windows, doors, and other related millwork products. CDS is an important component of the delivery networks for many of the industry's manufacturers, and over the last year, they've delivered thousands of windows, doors, and related products across the country. With me today to discuss some of the trends in logistics in the industry is Mike Heary, Director of Sales and Marketing for CDS Logistics. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. Well, we appreciate it. So, Mike, what we'd like to ask people from the get-go is tell us a little bit about CDS Logistics. Yeah, absolutely. We're a transportation and logistics company that is actually in a bit of a niche within the supply chain. We specialize in last mile or final mile delivery of windows and doors and other related millwork products, as well as large residential products like kitchen cabinets and appliances. And we provide this last mile delivery service throughout the continental United States through a 60 member delivery network of companies that will take these, these products, windows and doors in particular, to end customer homes that are being remodeled, new construction job sites, or retail locations uh, like lumber yards. So this last mile service is a specialized service and, and we basically are bringing windows and doors and related millwork product to those locations before they're installed. So is it a relatively new phenomenon in, ter in terms of this type of service in, in our industry, or has this been going on for a while? Because my, my background in this area is limited, so I'm relying on you to fill us in. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great question, Mike. I mean, the industry as a whole has largely not used this type of service. I would say that over the last 10 to 15 years or so, it's developed some traction as far as retailers and manufacturers and distributors because two-step distribution is a big part of the millwork industry. All of them have you know, looked at ways to bring their products to market in a more efficient way and provide that extra value. And so the last mile component is critical because we provide that specialized service of, again, bringing it to the end customer before installation, which is a lot of a lot of value for the supply chain. So I think it's something that is beginning, getting more traction here in the last five to 10 years, but we've been in the business of doing it for almost 20, and we're up to now handling roughly 500,000 windows and doors a year on an annualized basis. Wow. So how did you get involved with the company? Well, I was in the military before I started with uh, CDS Logistics, and and I got involved through a military recruiting firm that the president of our company had utilized for many years. And we had an interview now almost 14 years ago. We shared the same uh, university that we went to for undergraduate. We had a great meeting and, and talk. And the next thing you know, here I am 14 years later, never thinking, you know, I would be so involved in this type of logistics business, let alone delivering windows and doors. <laughs> Was that part of your responsibility in the military or just happenstance? Just happenstance, Mike. It was uh, nothing that I had trained for specifically in supply chain or anything like that in the military. I you know, served as a surface warfare officer in the Navy and managed a lot of people and, and did a lot of different things, obviously traveled the world. But you know, really, it was sort of the leadership 
management experience that translated well into working at CDS Logistics, and it's afforded me a wonderful career thus far. Great. So what are some of the challenges that are currently prevalent in the transportation industry? Yeah, so I think right now what a lot of companies are facing and what the industry is facing is a few things. One is you have an aging driver network of, of particularly Class A drivers. If you think about you know, what young kids today aspire to do, very few of them, including my own young children, will say to me, Dad, I can't wait to be a truck driver one day. And yeah. it's a bit unfortunate, but it's the reality. So you've got a lot of drivers on the road that are getting up there in age, and there's a bit of a shortage of, of drivers. On top of that, the Department of Transportation has brought on board some you know, more stringent and probably good for the long term of the industry, but more stringent DOT requirements. For example, electronic logging is now something that is required by you know, trucking companies and you know, before that was a little bit of a loosely followed uh, requirement. Now, with electronic logging, it, it, it really tells by the minute, you know, when a truck is done with hours on the road and has to get off the road. So I think those are the big industry-wide challenges. And then there's, of course, challenges we face in the last mile space. But also, I think these challenges I'm talking about industry-wide are creating opportunities for, for a company like us. So tell me about how CDS helps the window door and skylight industry overcome these particular challenges they face. Yeah, so we what I think we're able to do is, you know, it, it takes some time, but we work with um, window and door manufacturers and distributors to identify areas of their business where we think maybe they can run a more efficient outbound fleet. We don't take over anything for them. It's not our not our niche to, to go in and kind of take over their transportation department. But what we do is identify areas and routes and, and markets around the country where maybe their traditional model is to take a tractor trailer into, let's say, the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area and make 12 to 15 stops all around Baltimore, Washington, D.C. That truck has to stay overnight, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and then it goes back. We work with companies, as an example here, you know, like I'm talking about, and say, hey, what about maybe just dropping off the entire order at one of our distribution centers and let us do the last mile delivery. And maybe even we, you, we can convince some of your customers to allow us to take it to that end user, the, the homeowner that's remodeling his house or the new construction job site where the contractor is. So those challenges of shortages of drivers and, and the challenges of electronic logging and having to get off the road and stop running a truck, we try to help with that in terms of using our delivery network to maybe group orders into a, a particular route and run maybe a more efficient operation. Is there a particular profile of the type of company that would most benefit from your services? You know, a lot of our relationships are with companies that are on the, I'd say, maybe the, the bigger side in terms of volume, where they're running a lot of outbound tractors and trailers and, and that type of thing. I, I don't know that there's one real profile, though. Um, the reality is we have customers that might drop off one order for us to deliver for them, and then that tractor trailer goes on and does something else. We have other customers that drop a trailer every day to us, and we then re-deliver in the local market. I think more and more manufacturers and distributors 
have customers that value a home or job site delivery profile, if you will, and the manufacturers have a hard time providing that service on their own, and that's where we can step in and, and help them out to increase sales and increase their footprint by offering a, a home or job site program. So you talked about some of the current challenges in terms of drivers and regulations. Are, are there other particular challenges that CDS is, is coping with right now? Yeah, our, our big challenge is we, we compete with, you know, the, the growth and exploding growth, really, when you think about it, of the home delivery model. So if you think about the effect of Amazon, Wayfair, any e-commerce entity that's selling product, I mean, here in the holiday season, right, everyone's buying online, and if they're buying big products, those big products have to get delivered by somebody to your home, right? And so our challenge is, is making sure that we have the capacity, the warehouse space to receive in, uh, you know, an order for a customer, and then do that redelivery. So we're constantly trying to find the right partners in all over the country, really, that can grow with us and that can provide that service and, and really have the capacity to perform. So uh, that's, that's really our biggest challenge right now. So what does the future look like for the company and the industry as it relates to logistics and transportation? Well, I'm really energized and excited about it, Mike, because I think that the window and door industry is really starting to understand the, the benefits of what a, a home or job site delivery program can mean for their business. More importantly, I think because they have all these challenges in, the, in, in logistics with respect to not as many drivers and DOT regulations and things like that, I think they're thinking outside the box as to how they are going to market with their product. So whenever you have an organization or an industry that's, that's thinking about doing things differently, and we have, you know, a reputable service with a ton of experience. I think that meshes really well in terms of, you know, a bright future for, for us in the industry. And I think customers and the industry as a total will benefit from the fact that their products, their windows and doors get to market safely, damage-free, and all the way to the end location. Yeah, I would think with the labor challenges across the board and our industry and others, companies are going to have to get more and more creative in, in dealing with that. And it would seem to me that your type of service would be part of that solution. No, absolutely, Mike. I mean, it really is something that, you know, I know I'm having more and more conversations with senior leadership in the manufacturing industry and in, in windows and doors that are interested in learning more, thinking about the possibilities of where our services fit within their supply chain. Because we're not going to be the one-stop solution for everybody, and we recognize that, and we're okay with that. But there's niches and little pockets of, of their business that we think, you know, our services can make a big difference for, for a manufacturer or, or a distributor. Right. So as a member of WDMA, what do you feel are the main benefits CDS gets out of membership? Well, we've been a member for, uh, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to have this right, but it's in the neighborhood of going on four to five years, I, I think. And, you know, what I've found about the organization is while it doesn't ha happen overnight, you develop tremendous relationships with people. And the big benefit for us has been being able to network and, and build relationships with some of the pillars in the industry, quite frankly, within the window and door manufacturing and distributing network. I mean, the, the gentlemen and ladies that I've had the privilege to meet 
have all been professional. They've really embraced wanting to learn a little bit more about CDS. And then on top of it, with education seminars and all the different things that we do at the, at the two conf primary conferences every year, I learn a lot about the challenges that our prospective customers are facing, you know, and those challenges, I think understanding those is critical because you realize where you might fall in the pecking order as it relates to priorities for some of the businesses. So, you know, when you couple all the industry knowledge, education, and then networking together into one, it, it really has been a, a wonderful association to be a part of for us. Great. So one last question. What's something about Mike Heary that would surprise people? <laughs> well, that's a good one. Boy, I um, thought about this for a little bit, knowing that you might ask me some off-the-wall question here, Mike. But I think probably a couple things. One is most would not realize that I, I played Division One basketball at the Naval Academy and that we I was able to have a career that allowed me to finish in the in the top five or so when I graduated in scoring there at Navy and we went to two NCAA tournaments. So if anyone's a college basketball fan and loves March Madness, that'll be something that'll be surprising to them. And, and then probably the other thing would be just this past summer, being that I was primarily a basketball player all my life, I took up the hobby of golf and that's created my, filled my competitive bucket a little bit. And, and I won a club championship at my local golf course this past fall in golf, which was quite a big deal for someone that didn't play a lot of competitive golf growing up. So I guess I gave you two things instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We appreciate it. And we appreciate your involvement in the association. It, it benefits us as well. Well, thanks. Appreciate it very much. So thanks for joining us on the podcast, Mike. We really appreciate your insights. Yeah, thanks again. And that does it for another episode of WDMA Open and Close. If you are listening to us through your favorite podcast platform, do us a favor and don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks for listening. And from everyone on the WDMA team, we hope you have a safe and happy holiday season.